Hello and welcome along to the Anxiety Specialist Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Burrows. And I'm Becky Burrows. If you've been struggling with anxiety or know someone who has been, then this podcast is for you. Today, we're going to be covering some more tips, strategies, and insights so you can get the anxiety-free life you deserve. Ready? Let's dive in. On our podcast, she is a parenting expert with 20 plus years of experience. She has foundations in counseling and hypnotherapy and is a master practitioner in NLP. And I think this is why Michael and I really connect with Camilla and her approach to working with parents. So she's also an author of Positive Potty Training, the Nurturing Parents Step-by-Step Guide. Thank you so much for joining me today, Camilla. It's amazing to have you on. It's a pleasure. We forgot to discuss. I'm also a mum of four, which um, informs... (laughs) I was thinking before I was going to say, is there anything you can add? But yeah, a mum of four... Of two hats off, that is amazing <laughs> and shows as well that really personal connection experience. You've been through the trenches all times, so, so you understand that, yeah. what this is like, <laughs> and I think that's really important. I don't know if you've watched Michael McIntyre, does a really funny oh, skit yeah. on parenting, and it's the hope you have no idea <laughs> what it's like <laughs> to parent if you haven't had kids because it's just an indescribable experience and you might sound like you're exaggerating but it is that hard and so it's important to have someone who gets it and you really get it and Camilla's not only an amazing expert in this she's also our coach so she's been coaching Michael and I with our parenting because we're not perfect and we need help and we're experts in anxiety but we are not parenting experts so it's been wonderful to have your support and also a really good friend of mine we've connected and yeah it's been wonderful to get to know you and work with you so I've got some questions today but firstly I'd love to hear about your story and specifically what I really want to talk about today is that two sides of parenting I feel the double-edged sword that we walk along I think especially as modern parents where We have all this knowledge and research now of how punitive parenting and punishing parenting can be really harmful for children and their psychology Mm. and well-being. And so we're like, we don't want to do that. And maybe our parents were somewhat punitive. And so we had that Mm -hmm. experience growing up. That was our training (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. example Mm -hmm. of parenting. And so we might not want to do it like that. It might not be that our parents hit us. It might just be that they shouted or they were very strict and we want to be a bit different. But there's this void, this gap between what we don't want to do and maybe we're not even sure what we do want to do. We just don't want to be that. And then we get in those hard moments and we fall back on what we know. And so I want to have a talk to you about that and especially about, so if you can share your experience, your story of how you dealt with that, that double-edged being too punitive and then not wanting to be strict, but being strict because you don't know what else to do and then trying the other way and giving in. Yeah, I mean, I found 22 years ago, I had a toddler and a new baby, like you, Becky, and really in the trenches. My baby was had terrible acid reflux and colic, and so he screamed a lot and he didn't sleep. And I just suddenly started to notice how much I was pendulum parenting. So my son, Nico, it was two and three quarters, was he would really run circles round us. And 
I was asked when I first approached uh, a parenting coach to get some help. She said, does he know that you're in charge? And my husband and I like, ah, you don't think he does? And yet we would also then come down really hard on him if he'd like spilled his water on purpose. And so we just didn't know which way to turn it. And on top of that, he used to hit other children. So it was getting... We were almost withdrawing socially from our friends because we knew that if we went on a, to a barbecue or a play date or something, we might turn our back and he'd wind up hitting another child. And it was so awful and so humiliating. And yet the telling off, which we'd reach, did no good at all. In fact, it yeah. actually made it worse. So oh, we were and just didn't know and knew that we wanted help and I knew that I wanted this I read a book called how to talk so kids will listen and listen Mm. so kids and just that title it was like yes can I just say on that can I just stop I love the two sides of that because how often we stop with how to talk so kids will listen which is all about us Yes. But it's the other side is actually being able to talk in a way, uh, listen in a way that then can get the kid to talk back. Oh, sorry. That's just like light bulbs for me. The book didn't do enough for me. And so I knew that I wanted help and I went to classes and I, you know, it wasn't an overnight transformation, but it was the reassurance of knowing that you're not alone, that the reassurance to find an approach, which was one of the things that I was told really early on is, you need to be in charge. And again, that was like, ah, yeah. It's nice to have that permission, but it's also really nice to have it with a nurturing approach. And actually, I've learned way more since then, but (laughs) it started me off on this nurturing approach, on Mm. connecting with him, figuring out how to help him to stop hitting and what was driving the hitting rather than people would say, smack him so he'll know how it feels and just awful things like that I don't want that or take his toys away if he hits and I knew that not only did I not want that because that's punishment but also I knew that wasn't going to work so we had to look in your terms like the anxiety that was building up I didn't think of it like that at the time but what was building up to cause him to hit? And then what was he feeling about himself when he did and he was told off? So we looked at all those kind of things and that just started me off. And then I was just like this sponge. Yeah. Other parents, because it had been my background anyway, but it was like, how can I apply this, what I'm learning and learning more and more? I had two more kids along the way. And then, you know, to, to really... Um, be that champion for that parent that wants this combination, the boundaries Mm. with the gentle and nurturing approach. And that's one of the reasons I call the book, The Nurturing Parents. If you want to be a nurturing parent, then, you know, you're my person, but also I'm sure you don't necessarily always know how to combine that with being firm as well. That's the thing I think is you've just hit the nail on the head is how do you Be that nurturing, connected, intuitive, like with your child while not having them run all over you without, I guess sometimes you can have a naive thought that if you're just really nurturing, the child will just do what you want them to do because you're so nurturing and loving and connected with them. And then you find that's not the case and it's like, oh no, what do I do now? And then that thought, I think that anxious thought of, if I don't come down hard on them, yes. they're not going to learn. 
and then they're going to do this as adults and it's easy for our minds to catastrophize and run away with us and then us be yelling at some our child for spilling some milk when it's it's just some milk yeah you know and I mean talking about catastrophizing I thought he was going to be in prison Mm. I thought that this kid that would just thump another child I thought he's going to wind up in fights, then he's going to get arrested. I was so frightened that, like you say, you think I thought I had to come down hard. And I thought that the only way to stop him hitting was to shout at him and tell him it was bad. It's so liberating to know that you don't need to do that, but you can be firm. And I remember you with bedtime. You could have thought, that's it. I just, it's, I'm loving mom and therefore I've got to always do the bedtime because that's what he wants. And yet you realize that actually by being clear about your boundary and your needs and you set up for Maximus to be able to have daddy put him to bed. That's That's so good because then you don't have that resentment that it's always got to be me. About the child being, I guess we look at that child behavior we extrapolate it to an adult form of behavior. So if the child is hitting another child, then we see them as an adult hitting another adult. That's not what's going on when they're doing that. There's something else there. Why is it that you can have, because I remember one of my siblings could get quite angry at times and they're not like that as an adult. That was a time and a phase. Do you know why it is that children display these behaviors that as adults would be completely unacceptable, but doesn't automatically mean that translates into adulthood? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that we have as a really major worry as a parent is I didn't hit him. So why is Mm. he hitting other people? You know, because, you know, they are sponges for us, but they also Mm. have these very raw, very immediate emotions that, and they can't express it. So they just act it, they act out. I think that's the other thing that I know a lot of parents that work with me, and you probably had this too, Becky, even though you obviously know a massive amount about psychology, but we need to know how their little minds work and we need to know they are impulsive. You know, that is a thing for a toddler. They are rigid, which is why if you give them the different color cup at breakfast, they it's like they're rigid. They want it to be the same. So there are these traits that it is just, they are normal traits. That word, normal. What's normal for a toddler, a small child, or even a teenager? (laughs) What's normal in terms of impulsivity? Yeah. Versus actually, once you get to adulthood, it's not normal to have that level of impulsivity. And actually, then we're looking at there being actually something wrong. But seeing that in a child, it's not wrong. It's actually very normal. And I think it's helpful to normalize, actually normalize what is normal behavior at different stages so that we don't catastrophize. And then, oh, this is sad. But if we are responding to normal behavior with punishing your bad something's wrong with you that's probably the thing that's going to really negatively impact them yes whereas the impulsivity the kind of being silly the not listening is a normal thing which they'll grow out of whereas our response can be lasting impact at full so Oh, and, and the other yeah. thing, I mean, it's quite terrifying, isn't it? Because you, the responsibility is just terrifying. 
But I think the other thing that we need to be aware that grow out of Mm. is still massively impacted by how we approach our children Mm. and how we interact with our children. Because jealousy, for example, if jealousy is damped on, you'll often find that a child doesn't grow out of that. And often Mm. with sibling jealousy as well. I work with people that are still furiously jealous of their grown-up siblings and have no relationship with them. And I would say that stems from how they were treated as children. To accept and normalize that jealousy is a normal and totally valid emotion. And but you can also help a child to just by normalizing, just by saying, get it. You know, especially with a baby, I get it. I get why you go up so close to him and shout in his face or squeeze the baby a little bit too hard because you feel these really strong feelings of jealousy. And to just to have that as being okay, the behavior isn't, emotion be okay. And they do grow out of it. And they do start to show more kindness than not and will share more and it takes time and there are different temperaments. Some children will be more jealous than others. But I'd say that kind of growing out of it isn't necessarily a given how you deal with them. It's interesting because we're talking a lot about different types of emotions, feeling jealous, feeling angry, those sort of things lashing out. These emotions, it's interesting with things like anxiety, we can get afraid of certain emotions and yeah. and it's when we hold on to them or try to avoid them, that's when they can get yeah. stuck and they can become a really big problem. Yeah. When we know how to yeah. deal with feeling jealous or disappointed, if we know yeah. we can be disappointed, we can feel that and then we can be okay. We can move through the emotion. It's not like the end of the world being disappointed. Yes. That sort of thing. So it it sounds like from what I'm hearing that it's important to help your child to be able to feel what they feel, realize that the feeling's normal, and then provide them with modeling in a way to move through that so they don't get stuck in it. It doesn't get stamped out or squished down or like, Repress that. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad if you feel those feelings. And fear, that's another one. I know you've had that experience. To mm. say to your child, it's really okay. It's okay to be afraid going yeah. on a play date or going to a sports camp or going into a new school. That's really okay. And let's support you to be able to still go. We've talked about this, not okay, don't worry, you don't need to do it. Yeah, uh, that's so, where we talk about with being free from anxiety. It's not about having no anxiety because yeah. anxiety is a normal emotion that people feel. It's about having it at a level that's manageable and being able to still do the things that you are important to you and that you value without that anxiety yeah. preventing you or getting in the way. Yeah. And so I love yeah. that. It's okay to feel anxious or nervous about going to school yeah. or whatever, but it's about how do we support them to still be able to do that thing so it doesn't become a block and a restriction in yeah. their life. Yeah. Mm. And if you think about something like embarrassment, mm. if you don't handle that carefully with a child, they can never do whatever it is that made them feel embarrassed again. Mm. And that might be putting their hand up in class or Mm. it might be singing in front of the class or it might be playing football because that feeling of embarrassment is so strong. Mm. And until we can help them just go, you know what, I'm still okay. Yes, I messed up and I 
did an own goal, kick the ball into our team's goal. And that's really okay. And then move to having almost some humor or lightness around it. It's amazing what being able to, I love that, the acknowledging it. And then I think especially with embarrassment, because it is one of those things that give it a bit of time and space and then in a reframe and then you can it yes. can be more funny because it's yes. relatable embarrassment's relatable you know yes. people do that make mistakes kick the wrong yes. goal yeah. we all make yeah. mistakes and so it's that relatable human experience and if you can turn it into something funny then that really can help it's interesting you can do that with anxiety as well with small children I had this one experience with Maximus where he there was a river and there were some really big eels and when I say big eels in New Zealand we have some big big eels like over a meter and a bit long really fat as almost as trunks that these big eel things there was a couple swimming around in this little creek where the kids were looking at and my son thought it'd be a great idea to go climb into the water and he didn't realize that the eel had come up behind him and it bumped into him and he just lost it he was the most terrified I've ever heard him he climbed out of the water he was screaming he was just beside himself sobbing running up the bank away from it and I was like oh no I want to nip this in the bud before it becomes something that is like a lifelong phobia fear and so firstly acknowledging that he was feeling scared and holding him and being with him and helping him to calm down and then really listening to him about he thought that the eel was going to eat him and it was pretty big eel to be fair I don't think it could have eaten him but it was still pretty big and I think it had touched him and so I turned after I'd given him a moment to settle a bit I said I think actually that was the eel was sniffing you and then it smelled your smelly feet and it went yuck and it swam away and then we had a bit of a laugh and it was interesting because he told that story months and months later to my parents when they were visiting. And all he told was about how this eel came up and sniffed his feet and said they were smelling and went away. And for me, it was this the worst, scariest experience he's ever had. But wow. it was this, he had been able to frame it as yes. something humorous. And yeah. the power of that for it being just a funny anecdote he now has in his yeah. head rather yeah. than being this, I almost, it was that feeling of I almost died sort died. of yeah. Yeah. situation. Yeah. So, oh, I love that thing um, when you can reframe. So I'd really like to come to really clarifying that approach, the connected, firm and consistent. So if I just go, so Camilla, what is the alternative to being either really punitive and harsh or a bit of bop wishy-washy? Yes. Parent, like what is the the alternative that is yeah. a nurturing way? I think it's getting clear in your mind the things that are important to you. So that's one thing, like having clarity on your parenting values. Another thing is consistency. If once you've got clear on certain things that are important to you, say it's bedtime, routine is really important for kids. I would say get clear on that. Some children really need their routine like without any deviation and others can be a bit more flexible, but certainly having a value that routine is important. But say you wanted to focus in on the bedtime, just being consistent with that, being firm with it as well we're not going to watch the tv it's the tv finishes at whatever you finish your program and being firm with it but also being really positive and 
I'd say bringing in that empathy. So say if we were just taking TV as an example, or sorry, bedtime as an example, they might kick up. I want to go to bed. I want to watch one more Paw Patrol. Please, mommy, you promised. And saying, I get it. You love your Paw Patrol. It's so important for you. It's something you really enjoy doing. And it's such a nice moment. So there's the empathy. You're also being positive. You might have a little chat about the fact they know all the characters or a positivity about them as a person. They're curious. They've got a good memory, those kind of qualities. And then consistent and firm. And now it's bedtime. So what we do now is that we go and brush our teeth. We have a bath and then we read our story. And then mommy or daddy says goodnight. Or we both say goodnight. And, we have, and that kind of coming together. It's just so helpful for us to know and for the kids to feel secure. And I think that there is this sort of idea, like, for example, being polite was a value for us, not being automaton polite, but I wanted my kids to appreciate stuff and say thank you, knowing that. And it helps you to follow through on things. If they ask, I'm hungry, keep going with it. Okay, what's your request? I want food. Okay, how are you like to put that that's polite? Please, can I have a biscuit? Or mm. Yeah, okay, I can give you that now. And I think this sort of permissive parenting might think he doesn't want to say please. They've got to want to say please. And I would just say, again, it might not be your value. I think it helps kids if they're polite outside because other adults do expect it. But rather than thinking, you know, he needs to need to want to say please or thank you, we just help them to do it, but not by shouting at them or saying you're not going to get your anything to eat if that's the kind of attitude you've got. But just by saying, oh, I think you forgot. So there's the empathy. But still sticking through, still seeing it through, still being firm on it. So that's behind the philosophy that I teach. And I think, again, permissive parenting might be they're going to want to go to bed. I'm like, no, they're never going to want to go to bed. Well, some kids do. My daughter, my number three, she used to go, bedtime, mommy. And I'm like, oh, my God, how wonderful. But no, most <laughs> kids don't. Kids. It's not all kids. And I don't believe they're going to really want. There's a lot of things they're not going to want to do. But we've got to, again, have it as our value yeah. and figure that, learn the tools, which is what I teach, to first of all, empower the parent to see it through and be okay with it. And even if they say, I hate you and you're so mean and everyone else lets their children watch more TV and all that. So that you can still be firm with it and you can yeah. still say, yeah, I get it. It's hard and it's going off. It's gone off. It's not going on again or those kind of things. It's that interesting that step before the firmness is that yes is that connecting we are not different we have our differences but we are both human we have these needs and feelings and frustrations and you're not alone in that you're not somehow weird or abnormal for feeling this way I have times where I feel this way too and here's the firmness the consistency of we're going to but from a place of connection Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And one of the women that came on my course, she said, it's like witchcraft. <laughs> you know, she yes. said, when you have that approach, 
She said she's avoided like, you know, massive meltdowns over the ice cream or the sweet shop or the buying the magazine and the news agent just by using that empathy. I get it. I get why you want it. And, and we're do you not know what? It. With that, and this is what I always come back to with Camilla's stuff is I'm like, this is what I want as a person. <laughs> like how many arguments with your partner or your family would actually be averted if before the conversation continued, there was just a, I get it. It's really disappointing. Yeah. Like, I know what it's like to feel disappointed and empathizing connection about it. I'm yes. still not okay with what you're doing. My boundary yes. is still this, but yes. so often it's that feeling misunderstood and mm. that can mm. kind of really kick us off. And viewing ourselves as bad, I think, as well, because I know you talk about in your stuff, come across that and we say even when we say that was a bad or a naughty thing to do how kids can internalize that as I'm bad I'm naughty I'm bad yeah when we're having I find I'm the most angry and the most stubborn and will not change what my train of thought even though if I know I'm wrong (laughs) I'm even more stuck in the mud about it (laughs) if I know I'm out of line and I know I'm being unreasonable, it almost makes me more so. It's hard to gel with our sense of self when we feel negatively about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when someone normalizes, connects, empathizes, comes down to your level for a second, be like, we've all been there. Like, you're not a horrible, terrible person. person." Then it's so much easier to then step back and take a breath and go, okay, we can do the thing now. I needed that. I needed that. Yeah, and I made a mistake, and I'm not that, but that doesn't mean to say I'm a bad person. I also love about your stuff when you said about I made a mistake, we don't, not leaving our kids in you made a mistake and you did it wrong. I love how you talk about the repair. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. It's so helpful to help them to make amends because sometimes it leaves it hanging. And you might say, okay, fine, you crushed biscuits all over the floor. Okay, you were cross or you hit your brother or you were rude to grandma when she came in. They're still left feeling like, I know I made a mistake. They can often be still left feeling with that a bit of a sense of shame or regret. The making amends is just so lovely for the healing because if you say, but look, we're going to, Take a cloth to where you drew all over the table. You drew it over the table because you were a normal kid and you're impulsive. I mean, you might not put it that way, but you know, you could. We're going to write a little note to grandma. Well, how about we call her and say, you're sorry that you were cross and ran off when she arrived and you do love her. Well, your brother, you hit him. Let's put a little bit of cream, magic cream on his arm to make him feel better. I've had my kids like, I've done terrible things. Like one of them stole some sweets from his teacher (laughs) and he brought them home. And oh my God, he wrote her a sorry note. And it was so helpful for him. He did give the sweets back, but it was so helpful to add that sorry note. Yeah. Because he did feel this awful sense of shame. But the sorry, it just helped that healing bit. I'm just a really big advocate of it. And I think it can make a big difference. I think it gets kids. Also, that helps tackle the black and white thinking of I have to get it right first time. Otherwise, yeah. And I think as you get into adulthood, it's really important to know that if you make mistakes, you can repair. And you can, yeah. in relationships and things, you can do something. And sometimes repairs are harder, but it's good to not have that kind of catastrophizing, which I know yes. I actually struggled with 
was the catastrophe that if I don't walk this narrow path and get everything right, if I fall off the side, then it's all over. And that's very unhelpful. How do you find this approach, this firm, positive, consistent, how that it affects the anxiety, and especially that adrenal response, that amygdala firing off, not fight, flight, freeze. How does this approach help with that? I think a little bit, sort of a number of things. I think that there's preventative in that if you help a child feel secure in them through having consistent routines, being clear about what's expected of them, I think that can help because sometimes the firing off is because something has shocked them or is unexpected. They didn't know what was coming. I don't know that that's necessarily specifically connected to the positive, firm and consistent, but it's about standing in your child's shoes and thinking, ah, okay, leaving the house is a real trigger. I know we're leaving. It's Groundhog Day, but kids live in their own moment and they forget. So helping to anticipate, give them advance warning of things, prepare them. So I think that really helps with the triggers. I think the other thing is sometimes that, trigger response is coming from this place is I'm bad Mm. and that positivity around kids just really and it's not about the course it's not about you're great you're amazing it's just about that really giving them the really valid information about who they are as a person and the qualities that they have and I think that will help it certainly can help them calm down quicker I'm not saying that you never get the trigger responses And sometimes also that sort of empathy, if they just know that you're there and you're okay with who they are and who they're being and you love them, whatever they are, whatever they do, no matter how vile they are, you still love them and really getting that message across. I think that will also help. But also just sort of knowing you put on something really beautiful there. So much, especially depression is a really big problem is that self-negativity, that believing really negative things a lot of negative self-talk with anxiety it's often like just not believing you can cope with it not being able to cope with the emotion especially with panic it can be struggling with coping with these intense sensations and oh it brings me back to Brené Brown as well in terms of the the people who are most wholehearted and feel most connected are the people who believe they're worthy of love belonging and connection and so instilling that belief of the worthiness of those things early yeah. on is a really protective factor for as far as I'm aware and from what you're saying and what we experience in terms of our clients that's very protective in terms of anxiety and depression yes and that having that positive belief of ourselves yes um, and all sorts of other things because even things like narcissism you'd think it's this inflated view of themselves but actually underneath it all it's a very fragile sense of self yeah and so when we can have these kids who believe positively about themselves adults who don't have yes issues yes Yes. Uh, so I love that I love that the only other thing I'd add to it is just being okay with them not being okay really just they might be on the floor kicking off just so upset and just holding it. It's okay. They're just, they're, they're going to come through that. We don't have to turn somersaults to stop it. Just, yeah. you can just hold, hold the sort of, hold the love, hold the connection and they'll be okay. 
And I think that's really helpful for them to know that. As parents, we have to believe we'll be okay as well in those moments. <laughs> oh, yeah. How much of our parenting is us going, I can't cope with this, I'm not okay, yeah. so yeah. you have to be okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Being okay with our kids not being okay. That's, oh, that's the work, man. That's the work. It's so much work. Yeah. Yeah. Good, important work for both us and our kids. But yes, hard, hard work. It's like, can you just be okay? <laughs> I yes. don't want to have to be okay with you being not okay. But yeah, it's important. And I can see the path that not being okay with emotions and not being okay with reactions and getting it wrong and all that sort of stuff where that leads to but it's mm-hmm. as a parent, in the moment where you just want your kid to do the thing it's so hard to step back and go it's okay for them to not be okay and we can work through this and we're still going to stay positive and firm and consistent yeah it's that's where the positive comes in eh? That's yes yes mm. yes yeah, yeah. And there are times, especially when you're sleep deprived and you're stressed and you're juggling too much, there are times when it is really hard to dredge up any positivity at all. That's where I'm so empathetic and realistic for parents because, yeah. And I think what I will always say is just one small win. Yeah. If you can. Just give them a big smile and a hug in the morning, first thing. That's a win. And then even if you're grumpy over breakfast or just keep working on those small wins and you'll find that things really start to change. And it's, yeah. And also being forgiving of yourself when you don't. Well, being forgiving of myself, I can hear my baby crying in the background. And one thing, finished, so I'm going to need to get off soon. But before we finish, what we were talking, especially at the end when we were going, this is really hard. It is really hard. Parenting is really hard. Yes. <laughs> and it's not something we should really feel like we should do by ourselves. Michael and I have Camilla as a parenting expert who we work with. And so we fully endorse what Camilla does and really recommend you. And so what sort of support can parents get if they've listened to this and they're like, that's great having an overview, like an, a high level understanding of what that parenting can look like, but the nuts and bolts of how to actually enact that is a whole process. How can they get access to you? How can they get access to what you do? Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at My Parenting Solutions. You can find me by just looking Camilla McGill. You can have a look on my website. I've got some free booklets and resources there. Um, My main signature course is called the Parent Survival Academy. And that's the video program that you've done. And that comes with coaching, um, group coaching calls. And I also do private coaching work with parents. And I do combinations of stuff. I'm just, I love, love, love what I do. And I love helping parents. And it's so inspiring. And yeah, anyone listening, reach out to me and see how I can help. Yeah, I really recommend it following Camilla. I'd really recommend actually investing the time and money into actually getting her support and working with her because when you have, there's so much bits and pieces of parenting information out there. And when you're doing a piecemeal approach, it's really hard to have the consistency that you need be positive and fair and yeah so check out Camilla if she's resonated with you during this podcast because 
supporting our children to grow up into healthy, uh, mentally healthy adults is so helpful for them. And also I found going through Camilla's process that actually it's been really helpful for us as well in terms of how we interact with each other and realizing we all have needs and some of them weren't met in childhood and that working through that with your children can be quite healing. So it's really worth the time. And I said, it can be like witchcraft, like it doesn't take long for children to change. And so if you're having struggles, you don't have to just struggle alone, get support. Like with mental health, don't feel like you have to do it all alone. Get a good process and get some good support so that you can get through it and really thrive. And that's something wow. I'm really about. Thriving in parenting, not just surviving parenting. Cool. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank, thank you thank so you. much for joining me today. Okay. And thank um, you. look forward to talking to you again soon. Been wonderful. Go to your baby. (laughs) Thank you so much. That was really great. Thank you. Great. Have a brilliant day, Becky. Thank you for listening to the Anxiety Specialist Podcast. That's it for this week's episode. If you found this episode helpful, make sure to click the follow button and please do share this with your family and friends. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. That's at Anxiety Specialists. And if you're interested to learn how you can live an anxiety-free life, you can get our epic anxiety reducer guide absolutely free so you can get started right away on getting your anxiety back down. Just grab the link in the show notes. Feel free to message us and let us know what you'd like to learn next. I'm your host, Michael Burrows. And I'm Becky Burrows. And we're going to be back next week with more tips, strategies, and insights so you can get the anxiety-free life you deserve.